You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello again. This is The Worship Review, a podcast where we critically and charitably evaluate the songs that are sung in the church. My name is Colin. I am a history professor at a large research university in the Midwest of the United States, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler. Hi, I'm a linguist and... That's it. A Christian. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've we've never actually mentioned this before, but yeah, Colin and I are both Christians. Yes, we should say that. (laughs) We're not just uh, random people who have a bizarre interest in... Christian music? No, we are Christians. We are former worship leaders, in fact. Right now, we're looking at hymns that have been recently redone, and we decided to take a look at one which maybe some listeners haven't heard before, because the band is... It's a little bit of a niche group, isn't it? Yeah, niche group. Uh, The song is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, and the group is Indelible Grace, and... We're going to talk about this song. Before we do, I just want to talk a little bit about Indelible Grace. Okay, sure. So, Indelible Grace is a music ministry that arose out of the Reformed University Fellowship. Campus ministry, we'd say, right? Yeah, I was trying to figure out what their organization, campus ministry. And their goal, uh, their stated goal is... Our hope is to be a voice calling our generation back to something rich and solid and beyond the fluff and the trendy. We want to remind God's people that thinking and worship are not mutually exclusive, and we want to invite the church to appreciate her heritage without idolizing it. We want to open up a world of passion and truth and make it more than just an archaic curiosity for the religiously sentimental We believe worship is formative and that it does matter what we sing. Ultimately, we want to nurture a movement and hope that this site, their website, will provide resources for this. So I think a very noble stated goal, and I think it's one that many of those I think you and I would also endorse. Yes, I think so. I didn't hear anything there that I thought was questionable. In fact, a lot of that I thought, yeah, that actually is really sensible. Right, and... Uh, the Reformed University Fellowship Organization is quite active in college ministries in the South, and so their music often has kind of Southern rock elements to it or country elements to it, uh, which is audible on, on uh, this song as well to some degree. And if you're curious about the name indelible grace um indelible just means unable to be erased or changed or removed in any way so uh, they have kind of a calvinistic undertone to a lot of what they do you'd pick that up in the reformed university fellowship right as you well. might which also in addition to all those wonderful things that they say about themselves it's also an organization designed to recapture or sort of hold on to desperately those baptized children, right, that have gone through, the grew up in a Presbyterian context and are now thrown out into the sea at the university. So, home free home, away from home, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, and I think they're pretty successful at doing that. It's yeah. quite large ministry organization. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously, like, um, RUF, I'm sure, does a lot of outreach and evangelical work. I mean, I remember first running into that organization when I taught for a couple of years at a Southern university. I'd never heard of them before. And they definitely did a lot of outreach, but I, I do get the impression that maybe informally a good chunk of the mission is to get those Presbyterian kids and make sure they, they don't go off the deep end. Yeah. Or maybe to assuage the concerns of their Presbyterian parents when maybe. they send their kids somewhere. Yeah, that could be true too. Why do we say all of this about them? Just to give context to what they're doing musically, they were some of the first to, I think Crowder was another one, David Crowder, to popularize the tradition of taking old hymns and setting them to contemporary style music, popular style music. 
I don't mean pop music. I just mean music that's popular in the places where they're active. And not just on like a one-off basis. There had been other artists that might do this on a one-off basis, but Indelible Grace does a lot of older hymns. And in fact, even some of their music that they have written themselves, they can often tinge with a kind of, I don't know, 19th century flavor. Yeah, they like to retain a lot of the archaic pronouns that we've talked about before and you know, even some older pronunciations of words when it's deemed fit. No, I think all that is really relevant to speak about. But let's go ahead and get into this song, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, which has a lot of those markers. You can see why RUF wanted to redo this song. The music is is really cool in this in this version. I, I played it uh, as a worship leader and as a guitar player, and there's this nice little riff that's really fun to play. Yeah, that's right. Can you speak a little bit more? What what else did you think about the music? Because this is not the traditional melody. No, the traditional melody is, um, yeah, so th- this new melody just has this nice kind of relaxing, but kind of just, it almost, it, it, it really matches the content of the song. The song is about a pilgrimage in some respects both a metaphorical and a literal pilgrimage and an historical one as well. And the song kind of just makes you feel like you've been trudging. Dun, dun, bum, 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 bum. And it's just kind of like these little steps and steps. It's a song that you would kind of sway to and you'd kind of, it's not like, I don't mean like it's depressing or anything, but it just kind of has a, it feels like a walk. The song has this walking feel to it in terms of the music. Yeah, definitely. It's a more somber tone, a more contemplative tone. Yeah. Um, I have some more things to say about that. The tone is somber. The tone is contemplative. Um, at times, it does have that kind of marching feel to it. Not uh, marching in a military organization or something, but this plotting. Yeah. Pl- yeah. Oh, plotting. That's good. Yeah. And I have to say, I think this is just my subjective listening to the song. One gripe that I have had with this song is that it has a a tone that can come across as defeated. So um, later on in the song, there's this refrain and da, 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 da. it sounds like, you know, someone... It sure, sounds like wailing. Yeah, someone crying out in the wilderness, sure. But also, there are many triumphant things in this song that the traditional melody does proclaim more clearly and more boldly. The traditional melody being, Bread of heaven, bread, bread. of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Evermore. Feed me now and evermore. I think that, I mean, certainly also marching, yeah. could be marching through the wilderness, but um, just much more, it's much more of a proclamation, yeah. much more of a an announcement, and the Indelible Grace version is just more somber, more contemplative, introspective, yeah. and maybe at times um, full of sorrow. Yeah. Yeah, there's almost a sense like at the end, you don't actually know if you're going to make it to Canaan. <laughs> Be in my anxious yeah. fears. So, goodbye! <laughs> you know? It does it on a great big goodbye, doesn't it? Yeah. The author of the text, William Williams, was a Welsh a theologian trained as a, yeah. um, a, a medicinal doctor. Right, before. the wandering Welsh William Williams. So William Williams was a wandering Welsh preacher and theologian trained as a medical doctor. And what we have, many of his hymns we have are actually translations from Welsh. And so this is one of those. The original title of this uh, hymn was Lord Lead Through the Desert, or, and I'm going to attempt some Welsh here. Welsh listeners, 
feel free to send me all your hate. They mail. will. They're a vocal group. They are. And I'm sure that they do not take kindly to non-Welsh speakers butchering their language. But Arglwydd Arwain Druir Anyaluch. So Lord lead through the wilderness. Um, that sounds pretty Welshish. I didn't hear any of the, um, that. That's the sound. So I used to live within proximity of, of Wales. You could, you could literally smell it from where I lived. <laughs> the English joke. Yeah. This hymn uses imagery of the Exodus from Egypt and from the book of Revelation, uh, referring to the new heavens and the new earth, to discuss the Christian's sure and certain hope in this life, even in and through bodily death, mm-hmm. I think would be a summary of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would just reiterate what I said about the kind of journey that's happening, which is at times literal, but then would shift shifts into a kind of figurative journey and also a historical journey that happened in the past in terms of the Exodus, but then also a journey towards glory to heaven basically so there's there's kind of wandering in the desert which also is a kind of metaphor or something for maybe wandering through life or through time or history maybe and then towards the goal of the promised land but which is also heaven right so there's multiple threads woven through this and it can be a little bit difficult to tease them apart at times but that doesn't mean that it's not clear that just means it i think that this author thought very deeply about what he was writing and was very well aware of the parallels between the exodus in the pentateuch and the coming um, new heavens and new earth the Mm -hmm. new promised land that we would be Mm -hmm. inhabiting i think so so let's get into some of the words shall we tyler yes okay Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Now, some versions do say, guide me, O thou great Redeemer. The Welsh um, word is just Lord. So, could be Jehovah, could be Redeemer. It's interesting that there was a choice made to use this Latinized Jehovah, a word for Yahweh. Jehovah spelled with an I. Jehovah. But in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah begins with an I. J. <laughs> an, an anglicized, Latinized Hebrew yeah. word. You're right. It is interesting that the translators of this hymn chose at times to use redeemer which is a an agentive noun so one who redeems one who brings back from um, loss and the name of god itself and if you're reading your bible closely you'll notice that at times in at least in the english standard version for example the name of the lord is given in small caps it and so instead of writing yahweh all the time um, which would be probably most faithful to Mm -hmm. uh, the Hebrew text. Y-H-W-H. The Tetragrammaton, right, the four letters. Um, Instead of writing the name of God, they will write the Lord in small caps. And so I wonder if that's uh, what's going on here, where the name of the Lord supplants the word. I'll speak a little bit more about this name. So uh, most of the time in contemporary use, when we refer to the name of God, we will say Yahweh. And this is the accepted scholarly this is the name that is commonly accepted by scholars as being appropriate but it has a very complicated history as we've already talked about so hebrew traditionally does not transcribe vowels over letters and so you would just write consonants on the page and the vowels generally can be inferred from that or if there's ambiguity you'll mark them i mean this is also true for a language 
well, a language like English, if, if I wrote all my words without vowels, it would probably look a little funny, but you could piece it together yeah. if you knew the language well enough. Um, and so there, the name of God is given as four letters. Um, yeah, Yod, He, Wow, and He. And so these would have been presumably consonants at the time that they were written down. But due to rabbinic practice, speaking his name out loud was... It's a very dangerous thing to do. Even writing it. Right. And so you stopped pronouncing it out loud. um, And at some point, the actual vowels of these four letters were lost to history. And so in reconstructing it, we add the vowels of Adonai, which means my Lord, to the four letters, Yahweh, and we end up with something like Yahweh or Yahweh. And you would know, Colin, that in Latin, especially later medieval Latin, I and J are interchangeable, U and V are interchangeable. And so what we have is this Latin J-E-H-O-V-A-H, that when you read it in English, English pronouncing the letter J not as a Y, but as a J, you end up with Jehovah. So, an interesting story behind this name for God, and you don't actually see it much in modern use. So you'll see it a lot in older hymns and stuff, but, and that's just because it occurred in early Bible translations and stuff in English. It really makes this stick out in contemporary context. Because mm-hmm. right? you just don't have the word Jehovah. I, I mean, I just right. I don't know of many other modern songs or redone hymns that use that word. Except, I mean, there's God. some like evangelical stuff from the 80s and 90s. There was no God oh, like Jehovah. That's true. And or like name, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's the um, one. But even those, those kind of invoke a, a feeling of history yeah. to something. So to get to the ideas here, the, the author, the singer is on a pilgrimage, declares himself to be a pilgrim through a barren land. And a pilgrim is somebody who is making a typically a long journey to a holy site or to a holy place for a variety of purposes, for, for healing, which is referenced in the song, for um, a, an opportunity to commune with God as a way to, I mean, in, in some uh, early Christian contexts, perhaps even because of different views of atonement, that, that a pilgrimage could even have a, a kind of atoning aspect that one needs to go on a pilgrimage in order to um, compensate in some way for some kind of choices that they've made in life or something. And a lot of the medieval pilgrim paths are still accessible in Europe today. You can still walk the same pilgrimage to cities in Italy and stuff like that to see holy sites. Um, And this is not an exclusive. It's uh, not Christian. Yeah, it's Christian. It's one of the five pillars of Islam is to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Mecca. The Exodus was a pilgrimage. It was a long journey, much much longer than it than it probably originally needed to be. But but there was God required them to wander for forty years, um, and then to arrive at a particular destination, a a holy uh, a holy destination in the sense of holiness as a set apart land, right? A a place that was set aside for God's use, for the use of God's people. Um, to honor him, you know, by dwelling in that land and making it a land where he governed, right? And this person is taking a pilgrimage, is being a pilgrim through a barren land here. And in English, um, at least etymologically and in many similar Germanic languages, uh, a desert uh, and a barren land and a wasteland are rather synonymous. So, I mean, even if you think about desert as being that which is empty or that which is deserted, um, it kind of makes clear. In, in German, the word for a, a desert is Wüste, which is a cognate with waste, like a, a not waste in the sense of throwing things out, but a waste. Like he, you know, when when you lay something waste, you, you're left with a land that is devoid of life. life. Or, or another way to think of it might be a dead land, which, you know, you could get some biblical imagery about, you know, living amongst a a land utterly cursed by sin. Hmm. Right. And so there's, um, there are two threads being pulled out here. One is 
we're looking back at the exodus from Egypt, and the other one is we are in a world of sin and death and um, really enmity. The people that we're with are at enmity with God, our Lord. Um, I am weak. This author declares uh, himself to be weak, but contrast that very clearly with a God who is mighty. Yeah. Um, so clearly the power to carry this person through the barren land is not coming from within himself. It's coming from a mighty God. Yeah. And it's interesting because we see two kinds of dangers or two kinds of threats. One is external in the barren or dead or lifeless land. And the other is within the person is not actually weak, is not actually strong. Their person is weak. So there's a kind of, there's failing both outside and inside, which I think also is a, a nice biblical picture for um, the reality of fallen man. Man is fallen inside him himself in his soul, but he also dwells amidst a fallen land, a cursed earth, a context, a context of human beings that are also fallen. So it's it's a pretty pithy way to summarize. Although with imagery, right there, there is no mention of sin here. Sure. There is no mention of of death. Even I mean, we we can infer it, and obviously through the imagery, we have a sense. But um, we are supplying a lot of this. Yeah, and presumably singers of this song are also going to be doing that too. So yeah. some people might think. You know, I am weak, but thou art mighty, and think, oh, I'm such a sinner. I have, you know, say it's a Sunday morning. Uh, throughout the course of this week, I've sinned in so many ways. I'm so weak, but you are mighty, God. You know, sustain me. Other people might, in in a Sunday morning worship service, say, um, pilgrim through this barren land. Like, I just, I got to get this job that I really, really want. I'm in a barren land here. So there is some element of openness to interpretation when you use these images. I also like the line, hold me with thy powerful hand, because we have the first word of this stanza being guide. A person could guide, I mean, like the stars could guide you from a distance. And yet this is a personal guidance that God is providing. There's literally touch and contact. Yes. Um, so this is, this, is an in, this is a personal, intimate God that is guiding the pilgrim on this really perilous journey through both dead land and through his own weakness. Yeah, and that reminds me of Psalm 139, where the psalmist is, David is writing to God and saying, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. So like you, you're behind me, in front of me, on all sides of me, you've got me really cornered here and you lay your hand on me to, yeah. to hold me. Or Psalm 136, with a mighty hand and outstretched arms, so God's... God is strong, but his arm is also outstretched. Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Bread of heaven, feed and evermore. What is this about? I think this is about two things, Colin. I think this is both about manna in the wilderness and also Christ, the bread of life, because we have feed me now and evermore. Um, the manna lasted for a period of 40 years in Exodus, right? And also only lasted for one day. You had to wait for the next, you know, you had to gather it, regather it every day. And I think on the sixth day, you got double manna so that you wouldn't have to go out and like do something. The, I mean, also the man is kept in the Ark of the Covenant too later. But what we have here is a reference to God sustaining his people in uh, the Exodus and also Christ sustaining his people as the bread of life. And I think this isn't just innovated by the author of the song. I think this is baked into scripture itself oh, as yeah. well. Uh, sorry to use the word baked when we're talking about bread, but I think the image of the manna in the wilderness is meant to point forward to Christ and um, God sustaining us where we could find no other sustenance in this land is meant to make us realize now, even if, you know, we eat and drink our fill in the 21st century, um, 
man does not live by bread alone. Our sustenance ultimately comes from the Lord. Exodus 16, uh, verses 4 to 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Each day the people are to go out and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test whether or not they will follow my instructions. Then on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So uh, that's God instituting the um, the way in which the manna is to come and be gathered by the people. And then in John 6, we see Christ declaring himself to be the bread of life. Um, so they asked him, John 6, 30, what sign then will you perform so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread at all times. Jesus answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So I think we're justified in saying this is about the Exodus, and it's also about Christ, the bread of life. Definitely. Open now the crystal fountain Whence the healing waters flow Let the fiery cloudy pillar Lead me all my journey through Alright, so now we go to verse 2, which says, Open now the crystal fountain where the healing waters flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. And it seems like here we're, we're seeing that dual or sort of parallel, the parallel narratives or parallel illusions carrying through, right? An, an illusion from Exodus, an illusion from Revelation. Yeah. And I, and I think, I'll address the second half of that first because I think it's the most transparent. Yeah. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. This is clearly a reference to... Um, God's manifestation uh, in the tabernacle period, guiding the Israelites through the Exodus according to his will. Um, and then the crystal fountain, this is a really interesting idea, a crystal fountain whence the healing waters flow. Yeah, which comes out of Revelation. It does. 22. Yeah, so Revelation 22 describes a... I'll, I'll just read it. Uh, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So there you go. You got the crystal fountain that heals. And the healing water. Yep. Now, I'll go a little bit further here too because there's something... Um, that will come up later in this song. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So we'll see later in this, songs of praises I will ever give to thee. And I think that's also recalling this image. Um, so yes, the image from Revelation is clearly present as the crystal fountain whence the healing waters flow. But I think there's another reference from the Exodus here. Oh, okay. I do. The, I think, oh yeah. The the rock, the stone? Yes. Yeah. That's that's what I think is going on here too. Okay. Um, so this is, it, this, it's in two places in, in the Old Testament just because Numbers uh, reiterates some things from Exodus. But in Numbers 20, the people of Israel are grumbling against Moses for taking them out of the relative prosperity from their perspective that they had in Egypt where they could eat their, you know, they could eat somewhat to their content and they had stability, they had houses and stuff like that that were rooted and they had water and they were complaining about not having water. And uh, God says to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. And he does. He does do that. And I think the opening now of the crystal fountain may be a reference to Moses striking the rock with this staff. 
Um, so I think there's a duality in that Could image be too. Definitely. Strong We then get into the second part of this, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. This just seems kind of more generic, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the strength and shield is a reference to a psalm, Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and shield. Um, so that that wording, that verbiage is borrowed from that psalm, but the strong deliverer seems like a just kind of a more generic name. I mean, certainly there are things in scripture that we could point to that illustrate what that's meant to imply here, right? Deliverance from sin, deliverance from death, deliverance from darkness. Yeah. Um, but it it's, and in the, in the case of the Exodus, it's a deliverance from bondage in Egypt. You know, it's interesting the idea of the Exodus as being from the dominion of Egypt or from the slavery of Egypt through this journey, which is difficult, but in which God also provides and sustains. And then you get to the promised land where, where Israel is governed by God uh, in a kind of theocratic sense. And it's, it is, there is a good reason to draw the parallels that the song draws, because you could make a similar argument with Christians that we are a called people, we are a chosen people, uh, God's church, and God brings us out of the dominion of sin, the, the enslavement to sin. He walks us through our life, however long that is, and sustains us, even though we continue on in our fleshly bodies, we carry on in a world that's cursed, and yet we then arrive, right, to a kind of a promised land, to to uh, to the, the, the city of God, um, heaven, where we worship God forever. I mean, th- th- this, the an- analogy works. It really does. Yeah. And even to go a step further, even in the Exodus, they are being, they are brought out of slavery to sin and they're brought into a kind of, um, at least commanded obedience to God. They're not just yeah. kind of set free into the wilderness, no. but God, when the cloud moves, that's when they know to yes. move the tabernacle. And when it yes. stays, that's when they stay. They and there are, are various consequences <laughs> in the Exodus, right? Like the whole reason they're wandering for 40 years or the reason Moses can't go into the promised land or the reason that just various people get swallowed by the earth or, you know, just a variety of things happen to show that, no, 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 you, you haven't been just, you haven't just been set free into the wilderness to do what you want. You are my people. Exactly. Right. And the parallel here is quite obvious, right? In this life, we are meant, just as the Israelites were, we are ordered to obedience to God. We are, he's given us clear instructions. We are meant to follow them. And just like the Israelites, we are terrible at obeying. We grumble, we complain, we we miss the life of sin that we lived in and we yeah. want to go back to, you know, yeah. unfettered right. what we perceived to be autonomy at the time but was Which really is slavery. a lie because right, yeah. sl- slavery to sin just as slavery in Egypt was miserable. Right. When I tread the verge of Jordan did my anxious fears subside Death of death and hell's destruction Let me safe on Canaan's side All right, so we get to When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side Verge is a strange word Yeah, the verge, the cusp, the edge Threshold the threshold, the border, the boundary. We've made it to the end of the Exodus. We're not yet out of it because we still have to cross this river that separates the wilderness from the promised land of Canaan. Um, And that is what the Jordan is doing here, separating the two. Um, Tread is just an old verb. It, It originally just meant to walk or to step with your foot. And so when I walk upon the boundary of um, the Jordan River, bid my anxious fears 
subside. So, Which is, seems redundant, maybe in a way. <laughs> you mean after after being uh, in the wilderness for so long, and then now having the promised land before you? No, anxious fears like that. Those are similar ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. I, I see. I was taking it in a different direction. Yeah, it is a bit like it's redundant. interesting to s- describe fear as with an adjective anxious. Yeah, because you could say anxieties, right? Yeah, it's like I don't know my pleasant niceties or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. That could be the fault of the translator, though. I don't know. Oh, that you know, that's true. It's fair hard. enough. It's uh, to be just to be fair. We are evaluating this translation. I. I looked at Google Translate to figure out what the original hymn was, and it seems pretty close to the original hymn, but then there were some funny things in there that I think have to be blamed on our robot overlords. I don't think that the original Welsh text was as weird as Google, Google Translate. Google Translate is not always awesome. Nah. I, I wonder, I mean, I've not, I've not been present. I've been to Millennial Stadium uh, in Cardiff, um, but I know that when the Welsh national team play there, rugby or football, soccer, for Americans, um, they sing this song, actually. And I don't know whether they sing it in Welsh or whether they sing it in English. Wow. That must have, I mean, that must just be inherited from appreciating this Welsh man's work. Oh, yeah. And also, it, it you know, I mean, there's a strong, there's a strong kind of Welsh Methodist and then Welsh Baptist tradition in Wales that, that still has a, a still forms a part of Welsh identity. So, you know, I, I can imagine being in a, you know, Millennium Stadium sits like eight, 80,000, 88,000 or something like that. I was there for the Olympics and um, I can imagine singing this song would be pretty powerful amidst that many people. Yeah. Are they singing it in English, I'm assuming? I, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Treading the verge of Jordan is an image used often in Christendom, not just in scripture, but in kind of the grammar of Christianese um, and in hymns to refer to death itself. So when when I cross the Jordan or when I'm in the Jordan or through the Jordan, um, it's meant to be talking about physical death and being delivered from this life into uh, the next. So here we have really, I think, all three of the all three of the elements, the Exodus, this worldly life, and the life to come mm-hmm. being united in this image. Yeah. Now, what are the anxious fears? This is a very difficult question to answer um, because the next line appears to be something like a fragment. So death of deaths and hell's destruction. Um, it, that doesn't seem to me to be syntactically related to the rest of the sentence. No, I don't think so either. It, and, and just in terms of the imagery it's drawing upon, it seems to be drawing on the idea of death being defeated. Yes. Right. Right. Because w- at first glance, you look at it and you think, well, this guy's just been delivered to the promised land. Is he really afraid of death of deaths and hell's no. destruction? No. Yeah. Why would he be afraid of that? So we just don't seem to know what the anxious fears are. And that's always kind of bothered me a little bit about this song. Like I, I felt like that was too vacuous and you could kind of drive a semi-truck of, of all sorts of ideas in there. Some of them probably good things you could be, should be afraid of, or biblical things you should be afraid of, and some things probably not. Yeah. And I'll admit too, I find the word anxious kind of overdone at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I mean, at at the time that this was translated, I don't think it was. Oh, sure. No, absolutely not. It didn't come up, it didn't have the kind of cultural debasement that it has now. We we also know Christ's resurrection is often by theologians called the death of death, right? Yeah. Because he conquers death. We saw this in, oh no, I don't think we did it. There's a song called The Power of the Cross by Stuart Townend where he says, death is crushed to death. Yeah. I love that line. And this line is a really nice one too, the death of death. Yeah. In 2 Timothy 1, 10, I'll just read the latter half because it's a part of a very long Pauline sentence. Um, Our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So he abolished death forever. I think, so that's the death of death. But I think it's also, like you said earlier, um, reminiscent of the book of Revelation, because in Revelation 20, um, we see in verses 14 to 15, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. 
the person who's just been carried through the promised land is not afraid of the second death. Um, I think these are, I mean, these are moments where we see um, God acting in a magnificent way to destroy the power of sin over his people, right? Defeating death itself, throwing Hades into the lake of fire. Um, These aren't anxious fears. It's something else. Yeah. And it also can't be, so I'm just thinking about other things in the song, like it can't be the barren land. Like, I don't think that's an anxious fear. And I don't think it's this guy's, this person's, I don't think it's this person's weakness either. I mean, potentially, I guess. But if God's there to guide them very early on, that presumably is not causing them anxiety and fear. So it just seems like we have to say we don't know what it is. And to me, that's a bit of a, that's just kind of unfortunate in a song, which is so replete with imagery that there wasn't a choice made to kind of define what this was and to instead use this kind of vague terminology. I would really like to find a good translation of this because I don't think that the Welsh original had something this ambiguous in it. And the refrain in the Google Translate is really doing terrible things with the rest of it. But the refrain here is, uh, victory, victory, make me shout in the flow. That doesn't Mm. sound like anxious fears to me. That makes me sound like someone who's like, you know, God has brought me from, uh, maybe from anxious fear into shouting victory amidst the flow of the Jordan. So the Welsh may be much better or maybe worse. We, We just don't know. We just don't know. So if any Welsh listeners, and we do have we do have some listenership in the UK, maybe some of them in Wales, it would be great to get some insight on what the Welsh translation of the song would be right. in, in, as, in as literal as a way of, as possible. I would appreciate that. Can I say uh, oh, another thing, um, bid my anxious fears subside is an appeal, presumably to God as is land me safe on Canaan's side. So we're appealing to God. Um, but I don't think, given the rest of the context, that this person is really uncertain that God will answer no. this appeal. It seems like yeah. it's an appeal, but it's one that he's sure he's going to be granted. I think so too. I think it's like, it's almost a request to God to fulfill promises or something like that. It's that sort of thing. I mean, we, again, we don't quite have them, but it seems like that kind of language to me. Which we have precedent for. I mean, we we ask God for mercy every week after his mercies have been new to us every single morning. And um, there's no problem with that. Or like we ask God to take care for us or to, you know, to do other things for us, which he promises that he's going to do. He may not do them in the way that we think that he should, but he will do these things. Like we are, when we ask for these things, we're asking for things that he's promised. Yeah. You know, God be with us. Anytime we say God be with us, he's, he says this, right? I will be with you always <laughs> until the end of the age. Right. So, you know, but we still ask, right? Faithfully. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Um, okay, then we get to just a little bit at the end of this songs of praises I will ever give to thee. And maybe there's not much to say about this. Yeah. I think we hit that earlier. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we did. Uh, so then we get to land me safe on Canaan's side, bid my anxious fears, bid my anxious fears. Goodbye. So it's variants of this in the, in a kind of tag. And this is a new thing. This is not at least structurally in the song is not in the original, but in terms of the lyrical content, this is drawing from what exists. This is not really an invention. Yeah, and it's changing subside to goodbye, but otherwise it's pretty much, I want to say word for word, but it, it is out of order from what was before it. So mm-hmm. these are the two appeals in that final verse yeah. now stacked up next to each Which other. Which may create some structure, I don't know if quite you want to say structural problems for the song, but it, it seems to me strange. Yeah. Because we've just sung about this kind of surety that God's going to do these things. And then this person's almost like, but kind of, will you? I don't know. Like,
I had this idea, Colin. Let's just say you don't speak English for a second. I just want you to listen to this melody. So the, the melody here in the Indelible Grace version moves to something that's really... Mournful almost. I don't know. It just sounds really... Yeah. It's, it is. It's very... It's got lots of emotion in it. Yeah. But textually, it's very similar to the two appeals from the last stanza. Um, we could ask what it means to end a song like this on further appeals. Yeah. Which I think you you already did a little bit. <laughs> and then certainly to end the to end the entire song on goodbye is odd to me too. Yeah. I mean, I guess the Unless idea Unless it's the bid goodbye. Yeah, I guess the idea is to say Yeah, I don't know. And when the notes held out too, it reminds me of falling. <laughs> I don't know. So Yeah, sure. You know, like ah. <laughs> well, and I think it in many oh. of the versions, it really does kind of decrescendo and repeat. So we have goodbye, and then like, goodbye, okay. goodbye, goodbye. Right, right. which goodbye. See, it sounds like dying or something, right? It just evokes this. And again, it would, this would be one of those nice times where it'd be good to have some of the authors and say, you know, what was the, what, you know, just curious, what was the thought? Um, you and I both know somebody who went to high school with a member of this band. Who knows? Maybe we can... Maybe we can use that connection of a connection to get to get uh, Sandra McCracken to to let us know. That would be wonderful. Okay. Well, any any kind of summarizing thoughts about this, Tyler? I mean, it's pretty identical. I don't know that there's much that's omitted. I mean, apart from the the obviously it's a it's a translation, so we don't know what the Welsh says. Redeemer versus Jehovah, but. The indelible grace version seems pretty true to the original version, don't you think? Yeah, very, very true to the translation that we have, and therefore carries over all of the really impressive theological content from the original. I know that I would love, I mean, in any song which doesn't have kind of the cross and Christ in it strongly, I, I would always like that in there strong, more strongly. And so um, I do, I appreciate this song for its faithfulness to the Bible while still being artistic and coherent. I will say that as a worship song or as a kind of song that is sung in a congregational setting, in a worship service, I certainly would think that it would at least benefit to be explained and would also benefit from that explanation, having some, making some more explicit ties to the gospel. In the song itself, um, I just, again, it's, it's there and it's, it's, it's there, but it is, it is wrapped up in these, um, illusions and I just think it would be helpful to have you know have more Christ I don't know that's maybe a personal preference but I also think it's something like Christ should be at the center of our worship and it'd be good to have it there I have one more thought about the final verse just as certain as this author is that he will be brought safely to Canaan's side um, of the promised land I wonder if that bid my anxious fears subside or bid my anxious fears goodbye is really also totally certain. He can, once he's on the side of the other side of the Jordan, looking from the promised land back on where he came from, he can say, you know, I am here. I am bidding all of my anxious fears goodbye because those were a part of my exodus. And now I am totally secure in the promised land. So I think that would be a, an interpretation that could kind of salvage some of the ambiguity there. Yeah, fair point. I think that's fair. Um, would you endorse the song, Tyler? Yeah. I would too. I mean, 
I think it's a good song. Like I said, I have some preferences about the way it was framed and everything. But on the whole, I think it's an endorsable song. What did you give it for rating? I gave it four to five house slippers. Is that because of the like carpets and stuff and the set of the live version of this? That's referring to the Indelible Grace documentary called Roots and Wings, where they play many of the Indelible Grace songs live, record the entire thing, and then have little interviews cut in between it so you can kind of see what the authors of each song or the adapters of each song thought, the performers. And during the performance of this song, which is recorded in that documentary, um, there's a scene from above, the camera's above the stage. You can see, you know, the lead guitar player singing. And then there's a a woman next to him singing. And I'm fairly certain it's Sandra McCracken. It sounds like her. It sounds just like her, but I can't see her face exactly. And all I could see was basically from the knee down, it was an ankle length skirt and house slippers. Is what it, I'm pretty sure they're house slippers. They look like house slippers, and I was I my mind immediately went to my grandmother who wore you know ankle length gowns and skirts and house slippers. Um, Out of the house or in the house? In the house, in the house. Okay. But I just thought, you know, this is a live performance. What's my grandmother doing on stage in her house slippers? So I, I wonder the, if she's doing that so that her footsteps aren't too heavy on the carpet. Oh yeah, while they're recording or yeah, something. That could make sense. When yeah. Okay. Um, What'd you give it? I gave this three out of five candles in the wind. What are candles in the wind? Um, Candles uh, in the wind is a reference to the song Candle in the Wind by Elton John, which was made for the funeral of Princess Diana. And it was at that funeral where this song was sung also. So a reference within a reference, a 1997 the song was sung, Lady Diana, Princess of Wales. That was a pretty big cultural moment for the UK. Yeah, yeah, for the world. I mean, I remember it being on TV. My parents, you know, watched it. My mom was heartbroken over it, I remember. And it was on television as well in our house at night. Well, we got to have a better note than that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we don't actually have to end on a better note than that, because that's kind of the way this song ends, isn't it? Kind of ends on a bit of a downer. You're listening to the Worship Review. Goodbye. 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 You've been listening to the Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.